and hello again, everybody. A brand new episode of The Jerry Lawler Show here on Podcast One. Uh, just briefly, thank you for all the support that you've shown us, the great reviews, people sharing, retweeting, liking. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Lawler Show, and we appreciate all the feedback that you can send to us as we try to give you the best show possible. So thanks so much. My name is Sean Reedy. I am joined by the host of Monday Night Raw, the one and the only, the very busy, Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> the very busy and the very frustrated, the very angry, upset Jerry the King Lawler right at this moment. You know, I read last week or saw last week that uh, JR did a JR did his podcast right after he had gotten home from having tremendous travel problems with the, uh, the from the airlines and every everything that could go wrong went wrong and apparently right when he got home he had to sit down with uh conrad and do his podcast and it turned out apparently that that he was a, it was an angry grumpy jr i remember hurricane helms hurricane helms tweeted out nothing better than a grumpy jr and so uh everybody seemed to like that well they made him really like this today because i am grumpy after spending the last Literally, I'm looking down almost 45 minutes just trying to get online to be able to do this podcast, Sean. This has been the most frustrating thing ever. And I know I'm not that computer literate, and ordinarily Lauren has to <laughs> has to get the laptop out and get it all set up for me and all that sort of stuff. And she is already she had already left to go to get her nails done this morning, so uh, that left me to try to get online and get get connected with you by myself. We'll, we'll see what the uh, listeners say about this episode, because if people like this one, I might have to try to find ways to agitate you every week. <laughs> well, trust me, getting online agitates me every week. I've, I've gone through the, the whole password changing and re-signing in, and, oh, and then Skype wouldn't work. Oh, it's been just horrible. Horrible. I had to change rooms. I came all the way up here to where I'm sitting in, right next to the, uh, to the Internet modem, and... I, I've just I tried everything, but somehow, some way, we're on the air. All right. Well, we uh, need to mention that we have a special guest coming up uh, after we do an open here, Jason Sensation. Yep. Who uh, is famous for a segment that he did with you back in the Attitude Era, where he was doing impressions, and he did one of Owen Hart, and then Owen Hart came out and slapped him and put him in a sharpshooter, and it led to a whole brawl. So we're going to be excited to have him on and hear what he's up to and hopefully get some impressions in. Um, you've had a few interesting things happening in your life. You were involved. You resurrected the Monday Night Wars on Monday in the Lawler household. <laughs> yeah, in the Lawler household. That's the only place they took place on the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting in the fact that, you know, I got called back and I'm just back on hosting Monday Night Raw on USA Network. And for the past couple months or so, Lauren, my fiance, has been doing work on the show, the NBC show that has been uh, taping here in Memphis called Bluff City Law. And so, so just this past Monday was the first time that her episodes, the episodes that she was in, uh, aired. So, yeah, she had a she had a big watch party here at the house with some of the cast members from the from the NBC show and while I was in Cleveland doing Monday Night Raw and we were kind of texting back and forth and and if you saw on Twitter a lot of people uh they would t uh, tweet me at pictures of Lauren on the on the uh, Bluff City Law show while I was doing while I was doing Raw 
So yeah, it was a uh, Monday Night Wars. I don't know who I don't know yet who won. I understand that the uh, I uh, I looked up the viewership and Bluff City was at about three seven, Raw about two five. So she's got uh, breaking rights this week in the household. Well, you got to understand too that NBC. I mean, you know, True. that's a network. TV show and and uh, Raw is on cable, not available to nearly as many households as the uh, you know that's that's the same situation with SmackDown now. Now SmackDown being on the Fox network is available to so many millions of more households than than USA Cable is. So many people you know have everybody can get the the regular network shows, and, but not everybody gets has cable. So it's an unfair comparison, really. If that's how you want to keep control of your household, is pointing out the difference between broadcast and cable. Right. That's, that's uh, perfectly fair. I totally understand. How she get involved with that? Well, you know what? She did a little work on um, the TV show Nashville, which was on cable back on. I or I don't know. I don't know what network it was on originally, but the TV show Nashville. She went up and did some work, extra work there, uh, like a couple of years ago. And they put her, you know, they put all her information and picture and that sort of stuff, the headshot, into a database that they use that uh, different casting directors use out in Hollywood. And so whenever they're, you know, whenever they're going to shoot something in a local area, they'll go into that local database and they'll find, you know, some different extras and things like that. And and that's that's how it happened. They called her up. And, of course, she she's just basically done extra work, but she did get to move on up into to where she had a actual speaking role. And she, instead of just being a person and walking around in the background, she became one of the lawyers on this last episode of, for, for uh, one of the lawyers that was going against this, the, the main main group of lawyers in Bluff City Law, you know, so it was it was kind of neat. She, she got some good face time. Very interesting. There could be two major TV stars in the Lawler family. She keeps moving up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I just want her to be able to do, do well and make enough money that she I can retire and she can support me in the uh, lifestyle that I've become accustomed to. Would that be nice? Would you stop doing wrestling shots even if you had $20 million, assuming yes. you don't? Are you kidding? I, yes. uh, I thought you just loved it so much, but you, you would make that sacrifice. It's all about the money. Okay. Yeah, I look around and I see people sometimes that have all of the, you know, you see their net worth and they have all of this money, and I think, good grief. I mean, I just... I mean, I just say if that were me, I would buy an island or go somewhere, you know, with that uh, some beautiful place and just wake up every morning and not have to do anything, not have to go anywhere. Just, you know, just relax and have a leisurely kind of uh, uh, a life. But, of course, like I said, you know, that takes a lot of money. But and and, and it's something about something about making money. Uh, it's And it is true. You hear these expressions. And that's, I think, I guess it's just human nature. The more you have, the more you want. And then, uh, you know, the, when you, when you're making money, you have to keep up with the rat race of, uh, of, of, I don't know, because once you got money, it takes a lot of money to live a certain lifestyle and you, you just have to keep making money or all of a sudden you just, uh, anyway, it's the old saying, you're in a big rat race, but even if you win, you're still a rat. Yeah. Well, I've always been just fascinated, and you probably have more insight than anybody at this point, uh, how Vince McMahon can be worth $2 billion, and instead of spending time, you know, floating around the Mediterranean in a yacht, he's spending his Tuesday in, you know, Toledo, Ohio, producing SmackDown, announcing with all the energy in his body, it sounds like. Right. Well, but you know what? Because that Vince is a unique individual. He's, he's I say unique. 
I mean, of course he is. He's, he's the only Vince McMahon there is in the world, but he is, he is something. He is an individual that's, you hear this term a lot, but you don't really actually meet a real true workaholic. And Vince McMahon is, in my opinion, a true workaholic. His entire happiness, his entire being, his entire, uh, life revolves around working on the WWE. And it's so funny. It's so funny that, you know, you see fans out there that, that will, will knock Vince and like, you know, uh, uh, say stump if, if there's something on the show that they don't like. All of a sudden it's like, ah, Vince McMahon doesn't even care. Uh, you know, Vince McMahon doesn't, doesn't really, uh, care what the fans want. Trust me, that is not the case. That is all Vince lives for. He wants the WWE, it, that company to be as successful as it can be everything. And, and he, he spends every waking minute working on that. That's what makes him happy. That's what he lives for. I mean, he would not be happy even though he's got the money. No, he wouldn't be happy getting up in the morning and going out on a beach and, and watching those beautiful sunsets and everything. That's, that's just not the kind of person he is. His, his happiness comes from, you know, making the, working on the WWE and, and bringing up new talent and do, and, and gosh, there's so many things involved. I, I, it amazes me that how he can, that how he even has enough time, uh, in, in the day to do everything that he, that he gets done because there's so many people, so many things that people don't think about that goes on behind the scenes of running uh, a company like WWE. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of unique, and this isn't just because I'm hosting a show with the host of Raw. I'm kind of unique in the internet wrestling world that I'm just such a, a huge admirer of Vince in the sense that, like, you can go back and watch stuff from the mid-70s of him, you know, putting everything he had into expressing disgust with Lou Albano and Freddie Blassie. <laughs> and then, you know, 40 years later, he's still putting out five hours of TV a week between Raw and SmackDown, and he's never taken a vacation that I'm aware of in that time. Or at least nothing beyond, like, maybe a weekend. You're right. I don't remember Vince ever, uh, you know, ever, like, we show up on Monday and, and, and to do Raw or something, and that people say, uh, Vince is not here this week. He's on vacation. I've never, never heard that expression in my life. So uh, the other thing that was fun for your personal life is I know you always enjoy when you get to head back to Cleveland, where you lived yes. for, what, like, seven, eight years when you were young? Yep, eight years up there and right outside of Cleveland, a little town called Amherst, Ohio, and unfortunately. Unfortunately, I did not get to go out to Amherst on this trip. Uh, got in and stayed uh, down right downtown Cleveland, high there and uh, right near the. I keep wanting to call the Gund Arena, but it's not Gund Arena anymore, and it's not the Q. It was Quicken Loans, and now, you know, that's what happens. You go into all these major cities, and from the last time you were there, they've changed the, the oh, resold the buying rights, uh, the naming rights to the arenas. But now it's the Rocket Mortgage. Arena, I think, in Cleveland. Everybody still calls it the Q because it was from Quicken Loans. But so I know that you got to do a few things. Uh, you got to hang out with, uh, you know, the Browns a little bit. I think some of them, and then also you put a picture on Twitter of the Christmas Story household. <laughs> I did. You know, when I whenever you get to get to Cleveland, I don't know. It's like a it's like a ritual for me. I have to. I just have to go by and check out the Christmas story house <laughs> just to make sure it's still there. And it's always still there because now they've turned it into such a major tourist attraction. It's like bigger than Graceland is here in Memphis. <laughs> it's like everybody that goes to Cleveland has to go by and see the Christmas story house. And there it is right there in all its splendor, just looking the exact same way as it did in the movie. And it's just, it's to me, it's just always cool to drive by there. So yeah, I, I grabbed my, phone up and I shot a little video as I went by and I, I put it up uh, 
put it up on Twitter and got thousands of likes. It was amazing. I didn't, I didn't realize that that many people would, uh, would, everybody, everybody remembers the Christmas story house. They love the, they move, they, they love the movie, a Christmas story. And, and so, uh, that just fires up all kinds of memories to everybody. And I know at least it does me because, you know, living up there in that area for, as a kid growing up, I was like Ralphie. I was really, that was like my life. I really wanted a BB gun. My mother really wouldn't let me have a BB gun. <laughs> when I finally did become a teenager, get a BB gun, I shot my neighbor's eye out. It was crazy. It was, the movie was so much like, in real life for me. I didn't shoot my out. I shot my neighbors like the, <laughs> like the bumpuses. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because I think that movie came out in like the early to mid-80s, but TNT has been showing it 24 hours or maybe TBS uh, every yeah. Christmas for decades now, it seems like, and everybody watches it. So everybody's up to date with it. Yep. And anyway, yeah, then, so then, we, of course, we had Raw and I uh, uh, there, and I was always excited. The entire Cleveland Browns offensive line were sitting on the, uh, sitting at uh, ringside there. And uh, so it's always exciting for the Browns to be there. And, of course, me and Vic, a lot of people don't realize that Vic Joseph, my broadcast, one of my broadcast partners there on Raw, lives in Cleveland. He lives out in Strongsville. And so, yeah, so he's as, he's as big a Cleveland Browns fan as I am. So it was it was really cool there. Then the next day, after all, we I, I, I spent the entire day there before I flew late in the afternoon down to Orlando. So I went out to the Browns headquarters and visited with my buddy Brad Mellon, who's equipment manager for the Browns. He and I went and had lunch. And, oh, my gosh, he always – so great. He always fills up a Cleveland Browns bag full of swag for me. So I got, I got all the same stuff that the Browns players wear now, and I could I, – I, I, I don't have to go buy any clothes for months. So as a Jets fan, I beg of you, uh, if you can pull off the miracle of all miracles and give the Patriots a loss so they don't end undefeated, I'd appreciate it. But I know that this is going to be brutal because their defense is giving up like four points a game. Yeah, it's going to be very, very tough. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just hoping to get past this Sunday because then the schedule for the, for the Browns gets just so much easier than it has been. I mean, the first part, the first half of the year is, was murderous. And now the second half should be, I'm not going to say a walk in the park because it's not easy to beat any NFL team, but it should be a lot easier than the first half was. So I've just, but you know, you never know what's, I mean, the game's in Foxborough. And like you said, these guys are, the Patriots are undefeated and they very well could go, uh, undefeated the entire season, in my estimation. Ugh, makes me sick. Football season is here, and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks. And R.J. Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory. I said the fact they didn't run it up in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to hide his strength. No matter the matchup, R.J.'s got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best NFL picks around. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Very optimistic. Download R.J. Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and podcast1.com. On to wrestling. We had an interesting Monday Night Raw with uh, kicking off with uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair, a fellow legend of the business. And <laughs> Boy, he was full of himself, wasn't he? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, we talked last week about how for guys like you, it's tough with scripts to capture the, 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 the magic. It seemed like Flair, I don't know if... It's you. Know, he's I, I know just what you want to say. Unscripted, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think that's exactly what happened. And I've seen a lot. I saw a lot on Twitter and different places where p- people thought <laughs> that Flair was drunk or something like that. I can I can assure you. I can tell you for a fact 
that Rick and I dressed in the same dressing room uh, there in Cleveland. And we talked for hours just as, I mean, he and I just kind of sitting around there. And, uh, oh my gosh, he was telling the stories of it's when he, when he got married and, uh, he was really having a great time talking about, uh, Michael Hayes and the undertaker being at his, being at his wedding. And he told, um, he told, I guess the caterer or whoever, the guy that was in charge of the bar there, he said, look, see, you see those, uh, you see those two guys right there. And he said, I promise you, I want them drunk by the end of the night because <laughs> apparently they, they had come there and promising uh, Undertaker's wife said, you know, they're not going to be drinking. They're not going to be in this. And he said, I don't care if you had to put a, a waitress walking around behind them with shots all night long. He said, I want them drunk at the end of the night. I mean, he was just he just had such a fun time retelling that story and all of this, all of this stuff uh, about, you know, about different uh, guys. He, we talked about everything. But I can assure you, I was with him. For hours leading up to right before we went out on the air, and he was perfectly fine. So I know that the people saying that Ric Flair was drunk or something like that—that that was not the case. I think he just was. I think he was just so fired up, and maybe because, like you said, I don't think that was an interview that was actually written for him. I think that they just let him uh, uh, go off on his own, and and he was probably so excited about doing doing an interview like that that. Uh, I, I was I was worried. I think I was thinking while he, while he was screaming and during his interview, I started to say, "Calm down, Nate. You're going to have a stroke." But then I thought, "Well, I better not say that because you know who, who knows." But anyway, yeah, he 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 really went off. That was a that was a typical that was a typical old school Ric Flair interview. He was fired up. Do you have any? Uh, I, I know that you guys didn't work together a ton, but any uh, backstage Ric Flair stories from the days that you can tell? Well. Uh, <laughs> that you can tell. <laughs> no, you know what? I, honestly, you're right. We did not, Rick and I did not work together a lot. We've probably been backstage more now uh, it, it, since we both have been in the WWE than we were before when we were working together. He did come and we did have a, a really cool TV match one time uh, down in Memphis at Channel 5. Oh, one of the best hours of TV of all time. Yeah, that was that was really cool. Where we got to, I kind of goaded him into putting the title at stake on TV, which you know he was as the champion wasn't be, wasn't supposed to be able to do. But he went, you know, he I, I made him so mad, and he wanted to show off so much that he he decided to go out on the limb and put the title at stake, and for ten minutes in a match, and, and then of course we went to ten minutes, and he almost had me beat at the end of the ten minutes, and there was you know one false finish after another, and then when the time ran out. He was like he was a little flustered, so he came over to the desk and said, "You know what? I'm, I'm putting the, I'm putting the title at stake for another ten minutes. I want ten more minutes with this idiot." So we start the match again, and of course, during the next ten minutes, I get the upper hand and I got him flying around the ring and making the big comeback. And all of a sudden, he bails out, grabs the belt, takes off, and gets counted out. And so you know, it was like uh, he he had come to Memphis just to to beat some local jabroni, so to speak, and and um, and show everybody how great it was. And I goaded him into a match with me and wound up getting the victory on TV. And uh, and then off he went. And he put a bounty on you and wrote the check on the, the desk. Yes, he did. That was right. Uh, but you know what? And then, and then instead of, uh, I guess it wasn't not long after that, we started working more with the uh, AWA. And then so then we didn't, I didn't get to work with Rick that much. 
because whenever I had title matches, whenever he had championship matches down in Memphis while he was the champion, we were using the AWA champion, which, of course, of course, Nick Bockwinkle. On a Memphis tangent here, just briefly, I've always wondered, like, why did Flair just come in for a Saturday morning? Because usually Saturdays would be one of his main days to make a shot somewhere. Uh, why come in Saturday and not work Monday? I, I'll tell you, because at this time we were trying to build towards a Monday night match. I mean, you know, that, that was basically what our, our Saturday morning TV was. It was a 90 minute commercial for our Monday night matches. And we didn't, we didn't have the Monday night booked on Flair yet then, but he did have a, he, he, he obviously had a match close to Memphis or at, the, and, and you got to remember too, at this time, Memphis was a Northwest Airlines hub. So you could come into Memphis and you could get a flight to anywhere in the country. We had 350 flights a day out of Memphis at that time. And so, I mean, he could make the, he could make the TV show be done at, uh, 1230 and fly out to anywhere in the country. So I'm sure that's what he did. He just had another shot that night and we just got him passing through Memphis, you know. Okay. So then we had, uh, another Kings court. I like how these are becoming kind of regular in-ring uh, appearances for you with, uh, a storyline, maybe your favorite one going on right now, the Rusev. <laughs> Lashley, Lana won. What would you think being uh, in the ring with Rusev as, as Lashley and Lana were at the restaurant having a great time? You want me, you want me to be truthful? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here's the truth. I don't get to enjoy – I don't get to enjoy that storyline when I had to go out there and uh, and because I have to memorize, try to memorize during commercial breaks. I have to try to memorize what I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to introduce Rusev, what I'm supposed to say about the this salacious affair. You know, the writers have written this stuff for me to to uh, describe this affair that uh, Lana and Lashley are having using words that I would never use, you know, like salacious and I don't know. And, and I'm trying to remember all of these words and, and how I've got to introduce Rusev and talk about this affair. And then once he gets out there, what I've got to say to him. And it's, it's just nerve wracking on me, you know, especially after sitting up there and trying to be, you know, trying to do, I've done what, like two hours or hour and a half of the show, uh, live trying to, you know, trying to be entertaining and trying to, you know, remember all the graphics and the things you're supposed to say during, during that part. And then all the time I'm trying to memorize during commercial breaks how I need to introduce Rusev, what I need to say about Lionel Lashley. And so it's, it's, it's really, it's not easy. And it's, I'm just, you know, you're just up there and all of a sudden, boom, they, they point at you. And, and, you know, what people don't realize is like, if you're, if you're watching a, if you're watching any other kind of TV show, you see somebody out there talking, they're looking at a monitor. You see the news people reading, you know, talking to you. They're looking right into the monitor and they're reading exactly what they say. Their lines are up there. It's a, they most, everybody has teleprompters or everybody has cue cards. And, uh, you know, that was, that was one of the first times I, I realized it back when I was on the David Letterman show, uh, you know, with Andy Kaufman. And I'm sitting out there and, and there's the camera right in front of me. And right beside the camera, this was in the days they still use cue cards. There's a guy with poster boards standing right beside the camera and he's got every word that David Letterman is supposed to say on these cue cards. And he's, Dave's talking away and you think he's just being, you know, uh, that you think he's just sort of, Breathing, coming up with his stuff off the top of his head. It's all written down. He's all they're just throwing these cue cards left and right, and and, uh, and 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 so we don't have that in in the WWE. Everybody goes out there, and 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 they're all, you're on your own, 
and it's it's difficult. It's nerve wracking, and you're just so afraid that you're going to screw up and or get lost and start stumbling around. And and I and honestly, I did. I think I did sort of get lost right in the middle of uh, uh, right in the middle of what I was saying. I don't even know if I got the word salacious in there or not. But <laughs> but it, it so that that kind of takes the fun out of it. Man, there's so much good material that I could that I could get in there about uh, about that situation with Lana and, and Rusev and Lashley, I could just tear the house down with that. But, uh, you know, I noticed it and I said something about this. It's like, you know, we have a three hour show and it's so long, but man, so much stuff gets crammed into that show. It's just one thing after another. And, and, and once, you know, once Rusev headed off to uh, meet those guys at the, at the restaurant to confront Lashley and Lana at the restaurant, we didn't get to say another word about him. Everything was so nonstop action. Uh, we didn't even get to say another word about that until bang, you know, all of a sudden there's Rusev at the, at the restaurant. You know, I would have loved to still, and I'm, I'm going to try to do that more in the future. I'm going to try to bring stuff forward. I mean, there was just a ton of lines that I could have had about them that I think would have been, in my opinion, a hilarious but you know who who knows or maybe they maybe they don't want that to, they don't want any humor uh interjected into that situation but i think it wouldn't hurt anything you know especially coming from me <laughs> next week they're in the team flair team hogan match at crown jewel i'm guessing that's not the blow off so you should have a couple of weeks of being able to bust out the good material i think i hope so i hope so <laughs> you're right let me actually see if this would work, and I'm gonna—I'm still gonna use this on on Raw if the opportunity arises. But I was just gonna tell Vic, and I was—I was gonna say it Monday night, but I just—it just didn't have the opportunity to, to get it in there, you know. But I was gonna say—I was gonna say, you know. Rusev should have known this relationship was never going to work. He told me he took Lana to a country bar one night. Before she left, she gave the mechanical bull her phone number. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I know. I like that one. I'm still going to use it. A little preview for everybody. When you listen to the Lawler show, you might get some previews of things coming up on Raw. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, the, yeah, but the, the 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 show was man, the show was nonstop, and I was I was excited. I think you know the ratings held up good and that, and that sort of thing. While all the other shows looks like they're kind of uh, everything's kind of declining. Of course, we're in a tough time of year with with uh, man, especially you know this week. Even uh, SmackDown is going to have to change nights on Friday or change stations on Friday because of the World Series. But you know we got Monday Night Football and we got the World Series playoffs and all of this sort of stuff. So it's it's a tough time in the uh, ratings wars for for uh, the WWE and for all the wrestling shows. As a matter of fact, well, I thought it was a good sign that the ratings pretty much held up for Raw with a first time ever wrestling on Raw tag team. Uh, with the Street Profits. Uh, and, you know, to me, pro wrestling is always at its most hot when you've got some sort of a young, you know, good guy kind of, you know, hot acts, whether it was you or the Fabs carrying the company. And um, it seems like with them main eventing and winning that they kind of want the Street Profits to become one of the major cornerstones of Raw. Well, I mean, you know, I, what, I, what I've seen happen the last few weeks that I've been there is just really – Doing a, they're really doing a great job of getting uh, quote unquote new talent over, uh, you know, getting getting giving them some really good exposure in really good situations of all the new talent. I mean, you know, uh, Andrade, uh, the the uh, Street Profits, uh, everybody. I mean, ordinarily, if you would I, like, I looked at the show uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and even, heck, for the last three weeks, if you look at a format when, when you first go out there and you see who's wrestling who, you know, I just can't help it. In my mind, I'm saying, dang, 
where are the established stars? There's they're not on the show. You know, I mean, if you really if you really if you really look back on and when I say established stars, I, I, I'm I'm so I guess I'm so old school that that uh, that it for me, at least it takes a while and, and maybe a long while for somebody to become an established star, as I as I like to put it, you know. But I mean, I, I looked at the show Monday night and the only the only real uh, established guy I saw on the show basically was was like um, Ric Flair. I mean, you know, still it turned out to be a, what I thought was a really good show because they're doing a really good job of, and and, and you know, in the in the wrestling world we call it getting somebody over. Uh, in in other words, you know, when you're when you're over with the fans, you have their interest. They'll they'll spend money to come see you and and, and you know buy the network and watch you everything that you do. They get they get invested in you if you're over. And so uh, that's that's what I think they're doing a really good job of now uh, of getting these these new guys over. Yeah, you know I think it's it's likely a sign of Paul Heyman's influence and my announcing that too. <laughs> but he really likes putting together like a crew of young guys and trying to get them all over. So I feel like he's got kind of his army now with Andrade, Alistair, Viking Raiders, Street Profits, Ricochet. He's got this core group of guys, but then, like we mentioned last week, a lot of them weren't on the show this week, but there's people like Orton and Samoa Joe and veterans for them to then work with. Yeah, but the, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think, I think Raw has a great roster right now, really, of, you know, a great mix of, of veterans and, and young talent and that sort of thing. But, but just last week, for some reason, I don't know if they were in Australia or what the deal was, but, uh, last week, they're just what, you know, they were, it was all, all young talent on there, just about, and uh, I I still thought it came off it came off as a really good show. Yeah, I think it's it's coming off as a fresh show, and I saw Kevin Dunn had a quote. I know you know I, I'm only mentioning him because he was in a newspaper or a trade journal somewhere where he said the goal of Raw is going to be kind of to be the younger hipper show. Have they mentioned that Uh-oh. to you? The difference. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> hey, you do that uh, the 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 country bar joke. You'll be fine, but. <laughs> Have you heard that they want it to be kind of like the hipper show and SmackDown to be the more mainstream show? Well, I haven't actually heard that, but I mean, it would, you know, Ray Charles could see that. I mean, it's just that it's that's what's going to happen. And I do know that Vic has told me that uh, as far as I, I didn't notice it, but like the first week uh, that he was on there, I guess he just wore a normal suit or whatever. And, and he said he was told afterwards to get some more modern hip looking clothes, you know, outfits to wear. They love what Dio's wearing because he does look, you know, he, he looks young and he is young. What the guy is 20. So no matter what he wears, he's going to look young. And, and they just wanted Vic. Uh, so I guess that's the image, like you say, that they're going for. Uh, I don't know what the heck they got me out there for then in that case. But <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to try to be the, I'll just be over here, staying in my lane, uh, you know, trying to be the uh, voice of reason if these if these youngsters get out of line. You're very humble. You were involved with some of the <laughs> hippest wrestling of all time. You guys were doing music videos and the highest TV ratings in the history of pro wrestling, so I think no problem there. Used to, they used to be hip, but now it's like we're, when you talk about hip now, you're talking about hip replacements. <laughs> <laughs> you made the SpongeBob reference last week. Oh, yes, I did. You got to stay in touch. That SpongeBob reference was, uh, you know, was a direct result of Peyton, <laughs> my 11 year old. Uh, so that was that. That's you got to stay in touch with the with the younger generation to 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 kind of like you say, stay hip 
and yeah, he he, he loved uh, pulling out the SpongeBob reference. Well, use Peyton because I don't even know how to stay hip anymore. Like kids don't watch TV. They, it's like YouTube channels that I don't know how to even find out about. So it's it's a tricky time right now. I'll tell you something that uh, and and this is so cool. I mean, it's like. One of the things that, like, I guess somebody said, oh, you're not even supposed to be looking at something like that. You're too old to look at something like that. But TikTok, do you have that app? I do not. Get it today. It's awesome. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it, they, you know what they're saying that it's like a, uh, all young person app and everything, but it's, it's, I mean, I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger had a, had a video on there the other day of him working out and he's, uh, you know, he's certainly not young by any means, but, uh, anyway, it's, it's a cool, it is a cool app and it's a cool little thing to watch. All the videos are like more Ronaldo, uh, spoke about a, a quick match the other day on NXT and he said that match was quicker than a TikTok video. And and that's the they are they are real quick videos and they're mostly featuring, you know, young people and, and you when you watch the stuff you can kinda you can kinda stay up with what's what's going on in the not not just millennials, but even, you know, even the even the younger ages. It's it's a it's a cool little app. There you go. You got to be on top of stuff like that. People, feel free to tweet me at John Reedy sixteen. What do I need to do to stay hip as I approach my mid thirties? Um, anything? Oh my gosh! I know. As you approach your mid thirties, I know. Brutal. Like a baby, but you know, you're right. That's like a, a, a eleven year old considers you an uh, ancient. <laughs> so anyway, it's just like it's it's all relevant though. Anything else from the week? Oh, I, I mentioned that I went down to uh, Benton, Louisiana, to my uh, my restaurant down in Benton, and did we did a live wrestling show last Friday down there. That was fun, except for the fact that down in Louisiana it was still hot, and this show was outside, and it was a bright sunny day, and it was like wrestling, probably like the Crown Jewel is going to be, like wrestling outside in Saudi Arabia. It was it was blistering hot, but we had a good time. A lot of people turned out. The mayor once again was there, and uh, uh, a good time. A big big crowd down at the, my restaurant. It's really doing well down there. I'm, I'm so happy to see how many people are coming to see and have a have a bite or two of the Memphis barbecue in Louisiana. That's great. How was your match? Oh, it was good. Matt uh, Matt Riviera made the trip down from uh, east or from western Arkansas. He came down and, and uh, wrestled Matt. That's getting to be like uh, wrestling Doug Gilbert or Bill Dundee. It seems like every time I'm in the ring lately, I'm wrestling Matt Riviera. But he's a you know he's a, he's a good guy, a good opponent. Goes out first, grabs a microphone, put all those fans in their place <laughs> with a few insults there. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, you know, he he's he's like proud of being from Arkansas and looking down on the people from Louisiana. So anyway, well, that's uh, like when you had to wear the Ravens jersey in uh, Cleveland. I'll still never get over that. <laughs> but let me let me and you know what is this is so sad or not so sad, but it's just so telling. I'm talking with. I'm talking with Brad Mellon and oh, and, and, and then also I went on, I went on the Browns radio, uh, afterwards or like at one, I think one o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. I went on Browns radio. They had, they do a broadcast right there from, uh, they have a radio station right at the Browns headquarters there in Berea, Ohio. So I went up and I was a guest on the, on the radio there and we were, we were talking about like the young young wrestlers and and that sort of thing and now you talk about the when I when I wore the Bra the Ravens jersey years ago when the Browns had just uh uh Art Modell the owner of the Browns had moved the team to Baltimore you know if you're a Browns fan it was like the end of your life or everything and and I came out cuz I was a I was a heel bad guy at the time and 
I think it was Vince's idea, and I hated it, but still I wore a Ravens jersey out to the ring and did like a King's Court or whatever, wearing a Ravens jersey, and just to rub it into the Browns fans. You know, I hated doing that. But but what I was going to say was about how times have changed. I was doing the I was doing the show on the Browns radio and they were talking about the fact that one of the new guy one of the Browns players that is is doing really well now I I really I don't even think I want to say his name <laughs> even though I know what it is but uh they were they were talking to him he just got drafted this past year he's playing for the Browns starting starting player for the Cleveland Browns now and he did not even know that the Ravens used to be the Browns oh boy and now he's playing for the Browns. And, and he did, so he doesn't even know that history. He didn't even, you know, that's been so long ago and he's so young and the players and the fans now are so young that they don't, they don't even know the history of that, that the, you know, that the, the team got taken, taken away from Cleveland and went to Baltimore and became the Ravens. So, I mean, here, you know, when, when you're a Browns fan, you go to these games and you, you know, you have that, that intense rivalry, intense rivalry. You hate the Ravens, uh, because they used to, you know, that's the, that's the city that, uh, Baltimore that stole your team away. Now you got players out on the field that don't even know that. Don't even know the, don't even know that fact. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's, you know, we talk about a lot of old stuff, uh, you know, stuff that went on in the past. Uh, like the match with me and Ric Flair. And I guarantee you, you know, the, the, the young wrestlers now, the, the, all the guys that were on the, on the show, uh, Monday night on Monday night raw, you know, the ricochets and the, and dry days, they, those guys have no clue. Not, you know, they most weren't even alive when a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the podcast happened, you know, so, and, and sometimes I, I, I have, I, I forget that that's fact. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking to these guys in terms of like, you know, oh, they, they know the history of wrestling. They know what I'm talking about here. They know what went on 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago in this business. And they don't. It just because they're just too young, you know. Well, did you see when, uh, when Daniel Bryan was injured with the concussions, he said his favorite thing, uh, cause he was watching a ton of wrestling, uh, his favorite thing to watch that he just, you know, grew to love was you throwing punches. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I didn't know he said that. That's cool. That's nice. But I know, you know, I know, I know Becky Lynch came to me and said that she had been, and she may have, she may have got the idea from listening to Daniel Bryan say that. But uh, yeah, Becky Lynch came to me one time and said, I've just been, uh, I've been binge watching your matches from Memphis on YouTube. And I said, really? If I said, for what? And she said, just to, to try to learn to throw a good punch. Man, I was already a huge fan. Now it's even more. That's tremendous. And so Daniel Bryan said that he just liked to watch me throw punches. Yeah, he said that he he felt that was just the most beautiful thing in all of wrestling was your punches and then obviously your matches and everything. Wow. I mean, Steve Austin, you told that story about Steve Austin just calling you and telling you that uh, Jerry Calhoun was just a hell of a ref. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep, that's right. Yeah, it was it was just uh, yeah, you, you know, you don't you don't think about things like that, but it is always, uh, cool to hear people, you know, compliment and, and realize that, uh, they, they have looked back and seen some of the stuff that you've done in the past. I mean, I, I was just going to, I, I have a new YouTube channel, uh, the Jerry Lawler official YouTube channel that we're trying to put up more and more of the old Memphis wrestling stuff on there. And I just, we just had a thing on there the other day about Jackie Fargo. And when I was watching him punch me, I was just in awe. I was thinking, damn, Jackie Fargo threw some great punches. And and I guess a part of it, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. A part of when somebody throws a good punch, 
half of it is the punch and half of it is how the person sells the punch. Uh, there's a there's a piece on there one, one time where I was throwing a bunch of punches in a row at Buddy Landale. Oh, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. And, and you know, actually, what so much the punches, it was the way Buddy Landale sold the punches. I mean, you know, his hair, that blonde hair flying back and forth with each and every fast punch. Um, you know, that that I, I was real lucky to, to, over the years to work with some people that uh, – that sold my punches extremely well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lost art form in pro wrestling nowadays, so I'm happy to hear that Becky's doing that. Yeah, I mean, and, and people don't understand, you were talking about the selling of the punches. People who aren't familiar with, like, your old school stuff don't understand you getting thrown over the top of the rope onto a table, and just, you, I mean, you were just bouncing all over the place back in the day. Yeah, you know what, I mean, when I, when I started in the business, that was at a time when, um, that sort of stuff really wasn't, uh, it was almost frowned upon, at least by the, uh, by the established veterans, guys like Don and Al Green and, and, uh, guys like the, the Von Brauners and the interns. These guys were all big, rough and tumble wrestling guys that, uh, you know, they, they, this was back in the days where there might be only eight wrestlers on a, on a, card in a in a town one night and every match you'd have maybe three matches and every match was two out of three fall match and so and so in order to get time in these guys they couldn't go out and put you know you couldn't flip flop and fly around for that much time so that's these guys would grab holds and 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 uh you know grab a headlock and hold somebody in a headlock for five minutes or something like that that just that's just the way the business used to be back in the day and when Jim White and I came along and I started taking a bunch of crazy bumps at the time, some of these wrestlers actually went to Nick Goulas, who was the promoter, and said, oh, these guys are like acrobats. You know, this is not yeah, this is not wrestling. Which is so funny because people still say that 45 years later about the new guys now. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, but I mean, that's and that's just that's just the way it was. I mean, uh, when I when I started the bumps that I was taking. Uh, 45 years ago looked like acrobatics to a lot of the established wrestlers back then, you know, and, and, uh, I didn't even, I didn't even think of anything about it, you know, but yeah, we were just, we were just, it wasn't so much as the, the necessarily, like you say, the bumps the guys are taking now where you fly through the ropes and, and hit your opponent on the outside. Back then when you, when you took a bump, it didn't, it didn't necessarily involve your opponent. You just took a bump, like, like you said, I'd have Joe LaDuke pick me up over his head and throw me from the, uh, you know, from the, ring outside all the way onto the announce table, which was akin to not quite as far as, uh, as Mick Foley was thrown off the cage, but, you know, so, sort of similar to a bump like that. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the guys used to, used to complain about that at the time, but yeah, we used to, or I used to take a, a, a quite a few crazy bumps. Yeah. I mean, you would take a lot of, uh, like just getting thrown out of the ring. You wouldn't put your hand down. You would just kind of absorb all the impact and just go straight crashing down. I've just retweeted a thing la late last night. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's been seen uh, very much or not. There's a great Twitter handle, WrestleBotch. Are you familiar with WrestleBotch? I think I've heard of that. Oh, you got to, you got to follow them because they go through and they find some of the craziest. It's just that it's just botched spots in wrestling. It is so funny. Uh, and, and they put up, they put up a thing uh, last night that said, "Who sold it better?" And I don't know if this—I don't know if this was from this this past week's show, but what, if you saw it, because I didn't—I didn't get to see it. I was uh, traveling at the time. But on the AEW show, was there a, was there a spot where Moxley 
got hit from behind and he rolled down the ramp. Mm-hmm. Was that on this week's show? If it's the one I'm thinking of, yeah, uh, Pac came out at him with a chair. Okay, and then and he rolled t- sort of a little ways down the ramp, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, the WrestleBots <laughs> on Twitter, they put a thing out called "Who Sold It Better," and they show so it showed uh, Moxley getting hit and trying to roll down the roll down the ramp a little ways, and then they they found this spot from back in the day when I was standing on the top of the ramp and. Goldust came out and gave me a clothesline, and I rolled all the way from the I rolled all the way from the top of the uh, ramp all the way down to the ring. I remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, they get those they get those two spots back to back, and they're saying who sold it better. And uh, I just I just retweeted them, and and I put I don't know I I laughed at both spots because it was you know just so obvious that we were both trying to trying to build some momentum and keep rolling down the ramp. I think I rolled a little further than Moxley did, but it was uh, it was a cool thing. But if yeah, if you get a chance, wrestle wrestle botch. Well, and I think uh, a little easy for keeping momentum was when you would do that with stairs in the arena. Oh yeah, I did that a few times. I did uh, the main one that I remember the longest. The longest fall was down. I think it was in Birmingham, Alabama, or either Chattanooga. One of the two. They had similar auditoriums, and they they both had these. They both had a situation where when I say auditorium, that was the way before. You've got coliseums or arenas or something like that. These auditoriums had stages and, uh, you know, all of the fans, the, the ring would be out in front of the stage and you'd have the, you'd have three quarters of the building, uh, uh, of the, seats and everything around the ring that way and then one side of the seats were were just bleachers going up up high that were up on the stage area and so that's the way that's the way chattanooga birmingham was one night in one of those cities i was wrestling robert fuller and we climbed all the way up to the top of the the um uh, bleachers. And when I say bleachers, it's just those wooden bleachers, you know, and, and, and he punched me and I went, I f- went rolling all the way down to the bottom of the bleachers. And I never forgot. I think Nick Goulas was at the bottom and he come over and said, damn man, are you dead? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not dead. But anyway, yeah, I, I used to do some crazy bumps. I remember the Mid-South Coliseum, I took a bump over the, off of the, uh, back bleachers there. That was, that was pretty high up, probably 12 or 15 feet. Somebody gave me a punch and I just went over, over backwards there. Oh no, but yeah, yeah, didn't think anything about it at the time. I could talk Memphis and classic bumps and, and matches with you forever. Uh, should we get our guest on the line? I can't wait. Let's do it. Welcome to Security. I am Ann Johnson with Microsoft. Each week, we will be bringing you an episode that covers topics such as cyber empowerment. Even though we're in the industry that we're in, we're in a technical industry, we're not necessarily being as thorough as we could be. IoT security. You know, when I kind of look at the research, 80% of companies want to have some type of chat box, you know, implemented. That's what they're saying. And the current and future state of the cybersecurity industry. Coming soon to Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jason, how are oh, you, buddy? I'm okay, thanks. How are you doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Now, Jason, I'm, I'm, I'm Sean is in Chicago. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. Where, where, what part of the world are you in right now? I'm in Toronto, Canada still. Toronto, Canada. Wow. This is an international show today on the, on the Jerry Lawler show. This is a podcast. And listen, I came across you, uh, again for, for, I guess the, the, the second time recently through, I guess through Twitter. And everything. And honestly, you know, you and I back in the day, and you, you can probably remember better than I do because I'm terrible with dates or Sean, you probably remember. Uh, but 
Man, we we had you on Raw, and we had such a great time with with uh, the impressions. And that was the first thing I wanted to ask you: is that is it called impressions or impersonations? Really, I don't. I guess I use both terms. But, oh, okay. Uh, I I definitely agreed with you uh, on that. I think uh, you and I really hit it off. I don't know if you remember, you really helped me a lot. Some of those jokes I had, you would give them to me before I went out on air, and you really you really took me under your wing. Uh, I'll never forget it. You know, it was one of the greatest. Period in my life. Well, I mean, it was it was really awesome as well because you're such a talented individual. I mean, at, at least in my case, I'm a big fan. I've always been a big fan of people that do what you do. I think it's an unbelievable talent to to be able to um, you know do voice impersonations and sound in your case exactly like uh, the the person that you're you know that you're doing. It's I just have always been fascinated by that and, I, and i've often wondered why well I've, I've seen some people that can that can sound like well anybody they want to and i've often thought man why don't they why don't they become singers and sound exactly like elvis presley or sound exactly like the beatles or something like that you know uh but but in your case you've, you back in the day and do you remember again uh jason what year that was that we were doing that uh, yeah that was in uh, 98 and then i was actually brought to memphis in in 2000 so like we hit it off again really good there and you you came up with this idea why not have a court jester and you tried to bring me out on the live shows that the company would see a bunch of times like I wish we had done more with it because I wish I had the costume and everything like a million things I thought of after the fact but yeah you really really tried to help me over my career in the WWE I'm always grateful for that Jerry Let, let's go back because there uh, I'm sure that most people uh, listening right now don't realize what you know how how you got involved and and some of the things that uh, that that you did and and was was it because of Owen Hart is that is that to where you you first got involved and how did how did the people in the WWE even even discover you? Oh uh, yes, that's that's yeah. When we did that Owen Hart impression, that's when I first got involved. And uh, the irony was that he helped me get in. I I was at a meet and greet with Owen and. Bulldog, and I made them laugh so much with the impressions, and I was going so crazy my first time up close with two of my favorite wrestlers, and he brought me into the dressing room, basically to rib the other guys, but it, it got my foot in the door, you know, and so I was able to meet Carl DeMarco, who was Canadian president at the time, and then he pulled some strings, and when Vince McMahon came to do an interview, and off the record, I met Vince in between the two tapings, and thanks to Carl introducing me. So yeah, the, the impressions really, I, I, they, I impressed them with my impressions or presentations right. and uh, yeah, they really took off there with that opportunity. Hunter and China, they were really nice to me at the time too. They were coming down and doing uh, home shopping channel stuff with the company mm-hmm. and uh, Carl would get me to show up and just to help them sell some of the merchandise. And so they, I was really blessed to have them rooting for me as well. So they were really nice to me. But that day when Vince was there and Hunter and China, and we all got together with Carl, it was like all the stars aligning. And who who was it? Who first came up with the idea of uh, putting you there with me and, and doing the impressions of Owen Hart? Were, were, was Owen and I, were we working some kind of an angle at the time? No, that, that was Russo. I guess uh, Russo was... Um, we still thought that was a perfect fit for um, DX. So oh. when they did that impersonation of the um, Nation of Domination, which is kind of frowned upon now and for understood reasons, at the time they, they got me to come out dressed as Owen Hart only because China didn't want to play. She thought it would be out of her character 
to dress up with everybody else. So I kind of got lucky with that, but it was everybody's favorite impression of me, of that I could do was of Owen. After that, um, with the DX parody, they just decided to introduce you with uh, me with you out, out at the table. You helped me so much too. You gave me so many of those funny lines that I used. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I just love it, and I'm I'm so excited that you're here with us today. So let's let's if we can. I didn't even I had no idea. You sent me a list of some of the talent or some of the individuals that you can do impressions of or that you've done over the years, and not only. It seems like every wrestler that I've ever seen a list of names of all the wrestlers that I've ever heard of. Um, but you also do other celebrities and, 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 oh my gosh, different stars and animals. I mean, just, it's unbelievable. I mean, can you just, can, can you really just pull these up at a moment's notice? I mean, like if I start going down this list and saying uh, a person's name, you can, you can actually right away do their, do their voice. Pretty much. Like, there's some I haven't done for a long time, so it might take a couple of tries. But yeah, every everybody I put on that list, it's been in my repertoire. Well, let me let me let me do this. Let me let me put you to the test. Let's go, let's go back and give give everybody a couple of the lines of uh, Owen Hart. Owen Hart is, of course, I mean, you know, he's been endeared to the WWE wrestling fans forever, and I think every almost everybody out there remembers Owen and, and remembers what he sounded like. And, 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 and like you said before, Owen was one of the funniest guys and the nicest guys ever that I, that I ever met in, in that company. Uh, he, he was just, he was just such a cool guy to be around and, and, and to hear you, you know, I remember sitting back there, sitting at the desk and you coming down, coming down to the announce table. And I just kept saying, come on, do, do more Owen, do more Owen. And it was yeah. just, it was great. So give, give us just a couple of lines, if you can, of, of what endeared you to everybody by doing, uh, impressions of Owen Hart. Why don't I use some of those lines you gave me that day? This is me. This was when I was sitting with you, King. This is me impersonating Owen Hart. These are a couple of the lines you gave me. Okay. <laughs> I know I'm late, but my nose got here ten minutes ago. Enough <laughs> is enough, and it's time for a change. And what, oh yeah. I wake up in the morning and I love the smell of coffee all the way in Brazil. <laughs> it was so much fun. Uh, we were <laughs> such a funny guy, though. Agreed. We were making fun of the fact that Owen had a, a, a prominent proboscis, as I used to call it. We used to say, <laughs> talk about the fact that his nose was kind of big. But yeah, it was it was great. I see on here. Okay, let, let me hear you do just a couple of like the uh, the old standards, like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Bottom line is, pleasure to sit here on your show, King. Pleasure to have dinner with the King. And that's the bottom line. The Stone Cold said so. Okay, let me see. It says here. Oh, yeah, give me give me some Ric Flair and then Hulk Hogan. Ric Flair first. Hulk Hogan? I'm not afraid of you, Hogan. Ric Flair? I'm not afraid of you, Ric Flair. I'm not afraid of you, Hogan. I'm not afraid of you, Flair. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Oh gosh, I'm just I'm, I'm just reading down this reading down this list. I'm intrigued by the Andy Kaufman. Can you do Andy Kaufman? Yeah. Uh, uh, I love you and thank you very much. Now until we meet again. Thank you very much. Very good. Very good. I could I could sit here and listen to this stuff all day. There's just uh, tons of names. Are there any of your favorites, any ones that you feel like you do the best? 
Well, lately I've been having fun now that these actors have gotten back together with uh, Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, and Joe Pesci, and Al Pacino. I kind of have fun with them sometimes, especially they're coming out. There's a movie coming out any day now with the three of them back together. And anyway, so yeah, I had kind of fun doing those ones. Let me, can we hear those? Hey, we really want you to come out and see our movie, The Irishman. Okay? Even though I'm not the Irishman, am I? You're not the Irishman, and I'm not the Irishman. But who is the Irishman? Are you talking to me? Are you trying to be a white guy? I'm the Irishman. I'm the Irishman. <laughs> I just watched great. Casino, so that Pesci really cracked me up. That was great. Oh, cool. I'm still looking down this list. Terry Funk. Terry Funk, one of my all-time favorites. Can you do Terry Funk? Oh, me too. I haven't done him in so long. Okay, let me try. Oh, no. Come on. I got to try. I got to try. Okay. Okay, this is... I'll impersonate one of... We used to be in touch, and this is one of the messages he left me once. I'll try to remember how it goes. (laughs) Oh, Jason, the sensation. This is Terry Funk calling you back. Give me a call. Okay, Jason. Bye-bye now. I've had to work on it a couple of times. It's, you know, it's still kind of in there, you know? Yes, I love it. Guy. How about uh, Macho Man? Oh, yeah, Macho Man really said it. Still one of my favorite impressions to do that. He was the first one I ever did. Oh, yeah. Dig it. That's awesome. <laughs> Wait, it's just a, can, you do, can you do Vince McMahon? Hey, Jason, I got two words for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that took a long time. The whole time I worked there, I couldn't do Vince. It kind of came afterwards. <laughs> a little too little too late. Let's see, man. I, I I would just I would like to just go down this list and have you just do every one of these that you've said. That uh, uh, I, I'm always I'm always a I was a big fan too of uh, you can do the Simpson characters. I, I was just oh, universal yeah, and went on the Simpson ride and listened to Homer and. Uh, all of those characters. Let me hear you do Homer. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Hey, I'm Homer. Woohoo! I love donuts. And I love you too. Devil Plan. Bison eats the brain cells. Devil Plan. Bison eats the brain cells. That's great. Uh, 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 I mean, there's, there's, there's yeah. me oh man, you're, you're making us smile. Yeah, a lot of I'm looking at this. Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash. You, you, you give me some Elvis Presley since I'm here in Memphis. I hear I hear so much of Elvis Presley. Let me hear, let me hear him for him for a second. Okay, I'll give I'll give it a shot. You got a whole little Elvis Presley uh, monologue a little bit there for Elvis. That's cool. Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Goofy, and Donald Duck. Oh, Donald Duck, you got to give me some Donald Duck. And uh, Mickey. Well, hello. I'm Mickey Mouse. You know, Mickey Mouse. I hope you heard of me. I hope. Hey, I, I haven't done those in a while. But. Can I ask, the the one other iconic one would be Roddy Piper. Could we get one of those? My name is Roddy, Roddy Piper, and uh, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. 
Awesome. That's great. Well, listen, I mean, are you, are you doing, are you, are you working anywhere now, Jason, with doing any of this stuff? I mean, it's just, it's such a talent. Uh, it would be a shame if you're not out there doing something with it. Yeah, I know. See, believe me, I just feel like I've been sitting on a mine, a gold mine with a lot of this stuff. And I appreciate what you're saying. And thanks a lot. I think, you know, you know, just, I don't know. I don't want to get all into it, but yeah, there's, there's definitely something still to be done with this. And, uh, right now I just finished running for MP of Toronto Center. So I was oh, wow. doing that. I'm just trying to, I've been suffering from mental illness for a long time. So I'm trying to lift myself up out of that. And you'll still see me falling through the cracks sometimes. And I'm not proud of it. You know, I'm going to, I'm really just trying to be my best self, but I have my days where I'm not my best self. And I'm, I'm very hurt and I've been, Pointing the finger back and blaming people, but really it's just me really needing to crack down and help myself. And I just thought, but when it fell in my lap to run for MP, I thought, why not bring awareness to mental illness, speak on behalf of the people in poverty who are homeless, because I went through a lot of that over the last 10 years just because of the mental illnesses. They look of that nature that just kind of took over my life, so... Anyway, that's why if you Google me, you'll see all that negativity come up first, which I'm, you know, I'm not proud of, but I'm still trying to lift myself up out of that and, you know, find a, find my smile, so to speak. Well, that, that, that's awesome, Jason. And, uh, we wish you the best of luck in that. And, and, and then you run for MP. That would, that would be awesome. Have you, you know, you know, you sound a lot like, and, and, uh, who is, who is really d- does a lot of work with, with this is, uh, Moro Ronaldo. Have you ever talked with Moro? No, no. I, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to put you in touch with Moro Ronaldo because I think he would be a great voice. Can you do Moro? I've not tried Moro, but it's probably a place I could get down. Yeah. Well, I'm, he I'm, I'm definitely gonna, has a distinct voice. He does have a very distinct voice. I've just been doing hours and hours of, uh, of voiceover work with Moro down in Orlando, and so uh, I'm well, going to put great. you in touch. I'm going to put you in touch with him and uh, you guys get together and, and there's, I think there's a lot of stuff we can do with you in the future. Okay. Thanks a lot. Jerry. All I right. really appreciate it. it means All, right. All right, Jason, listen, thanks. And we'll be in touch with you soon. Okay, buddy. Okay. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hearing the Andy Kaufman on the line with you was eerie for me. Yeah, that was, that was really cool. Uh, and, and you know what? I, I apologize because I know just, you know, when you were doing it, you and I are recording and then we're calling him on the phone and he's trying to do it on the phone. You just, you just got to hear him, uh, in a really good quality situation. Like we had used to have him on TV and everything. And we'll get him to record some stuff in the future that'll, that'll blow your mind because he's, he's such a talented guy. A lot of, a lot of fun. Anything coming up for the king that, uh, the fans should know about? Man, this weekend, unbelievable. I'm off. I can't believe it. I've got a weekend off. So uh I'll just be sitting around watching. I'm going to watch the Browns and Patriots, and uh, that'll probably ruin my Sunday, but I'm going to do that anyway. But, uh, yeah, i got a got a few days off. We're in St. Louis with Raw next Monday, and I'm, I, I think it's one of those situations where I can – I can actually drive there quicker than I can fly there because there's no direct flights from Memphis to St. Louis. So I'd have to get up an hour, be- hour before I leave for the airport, then leave, get to the airport an hour before my flight and then fly from Memphis to Atlanta and sit there for an hour and then have another hour flight back to St. Louis. And I can probably drive from Memphis to St. Louis in like four and a half hours, whereas I'd be on a plane in the, in the airport and everything for like six hours to get in there. So I think I'll just drive up and back to St. Louis this week for uh, for Monday Night Raw. I look forward to that. The glamorous part of the entertainment world that uh, people don't get to see. <laughs> 
right. Exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, sounds good. And then next week, uh, you're going to be making a big trip for Crown Jewel. Who, me? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't have to go. Oh, you're not going? I'm not going to Crown Jewel. No, thank oh. goodness. Never mind. <laughs> that, uh, that would be part of that. That would be, I mean, I'm looking forward to Crown Jewel and everything, but uh, also looking forward to the fact that I don't have to make that flight over there. JR and I did that the second time we were over there, and, and uh, it's brutal. That's some brutal travel. Uh, it's, it's great once you're there and, and while you're there and everything, but, man, that travel, if, if, you, if you've been doing it as long as I have, you just don't ever relish being on a plane for, like, 12 hours at a time. I can imagine. I'll get to watch it. I'll watch it at home just like you and everybody else. Yeah, that'll be a fun, relaxing day. Well, uh, thank you so much. I think we uh, covered the basics today. We'll probably have another guest next week. Figure out who that's going to be. Announce it on Twitter. And if we if we can't get another guest, we'll get uh, we'll get Jason Sensation to impersonate another guest for us. There you go. <laughs> thank you, uh, Sean. Thank you, everybody, for listening once again. At Jerry Lawler on Twitter, I'm going to be tweeting about some of the things that we talked about here today. And uh, follow that and my new YouTube channel. Check that out, Jerry Lawler official YouTube channel, and uh, subscribe to that. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. We hope to see you next week. What's up, Brian Deegan here. I'm excited to bring you our podcast, The Deegans, that will be every Wednesday on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. We'll be covering many subjects such as racing, family, how we stay together, how we thrive as a family. So I think it's exciting. We're going to cover all those subjects and many more. Be sure you guys check out our new podcast, The Deegans, airing every Wednesday on Podcast One and on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.